0: Hello and welcome to the Trauma-Informed Educator podcast. I'm Dr Kay Eyre. Helping students feel safe is a hallmark of trauma-informed education. For some children, feeling safe in relationships is difficult. Well-intentioned teachers often fall short in the skills required to communicate and reinforce a sense of trust amongst these students. So what are the skills that make up an effective relational pedagogy? Today, we have the privilege of speaking with clinical psychologist, Dr. Kim Golding. Dr. Golding has a doctorate in clinical psychology from the Leicester University. She has been involved in the setting up and evaluation of the integrated service for looked after and adopted children in Worcester, UK. This service provides support for foster, adoptive and residential parents, schools, and the range of professionals around the children growing up in care or in adoptive families. Dr. Golding has been trained and mentored by Dan Hughes in the use of dyadic developmental psychotherapy in practice, DDP. This approach, based on what we understand about the attachment and trauma needs of the children, underpins the support offered through consultation, training and supervision. Dr Golding's latest book, Working with Relational Trauma in Schools, was written together with Sean Phillips and Louise Michelle Bommer. And it explores how educators can easily use dyadic developmental practice to help vulnerable pupils to thrive.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Trauma-Informed Education. My name is Gavin Krishnamurthy and I'm here as always with Dr. K.A. Hi, K. How are you?
0: I'm well Govind.
1: How are you going? I'm good. Happy 2021. This is our first episode for the year yes. and we're so excited to have Kim here with us. Kim thank you for joining us today.
2: You're welcome. Um,
1: welcome. So we might just dive right in um, and get to the first question. So as you know this podcast is for educators. So we wanted to start by asking you about perhaps where you went to school and and if it has any influence on the work you do today.
2: Okay. Yeah. So interesting first question takes me back rather a long time now. Uh, I was a product of the grammar school system um, so, and my sister wasn't. So I had a firsthand experience of how divisive that can be and how that stays with you for life. So I passed the 11 plus she didn't. So she went to the local secondary school and Uh, Oh, it's, it has so many different influences, doesn't it, your school experience? I mean, I know my first year at high school was very much around, am I really going to be able to live up to this? You know, I've, we were told we were the elite of the elite, and we were gonna, you know, and it's like, okay, no pressure there then. And my sister had the opposite experience of being told she wasn't good enough. And, you know, whilst I'm the academic one of the family, she's the really creative one. And she's always minimize that as you know a skill as a you know as intelligence and you know the school system can do that to you right back there so so yeah first-hand experience of of that I guess
1: yeah that's really interesting the whole spectrum of things I think you can kind of compare the pressures it's different in its own way isn't it
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lack of understanding of how children are experiencing these things and a lack of curiosity. I think we'll probably talk a lot about curiosity in this podcast, but a lack of curiosity about what is the experience for you of passing or failing the 11 plus? What does that mean for you? What's your experience moving into secondary school? Mm -hmm. Having done that test, you know, luckily, there's, there's less of that around now, but it's still it is still out there
1: yeah yeah definitely we've got a new system here in australia oh well in queensland i should say so there's a lot of angst so i can relate to that right <laughs> a lot of right. angst um yeah. can we we'd like to ask all our kind of guests their sort of understanding and take of how they make sense of trauma and interpersonal trauma um i was also curious about how you conceptualize this idea of blocked care that you discuss in your book
2: uh yeah blocked trust i think you're thinking oh, about oh, yeah sorry, yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I I guess we need to think about trauma and gosh, we're all thinking about trauma over the last 12 months, aren't we? You know, the whole world has had a big trauma impact on them with the pandemic. Um, And, you know, it's very much a trauma that is outside of the family and children experience the family as being a protection against that trauma. children have their family members to they feel safe they feel connected with their family members and that helps them to manage what is a very unsafe situation for all of us so if we think about trauma like that and then think about trauma that comes from within those family relationships rather than outside of the family relationships yeah you're taking away that protection you're taking away the people who can support you through these traumatic events, yeah. So if the trauma comes from within the parenting you experience, who protects you, who comforts you, who can you turn to when in need, who can you trust that who's got your back, yeah. And you can't because you turn to the people who should be there protecting you and comforting you, and they're the ones that are scaring you, frightening you, no judgment of the parents, there's all sorts of reasons why that might happen. And I'm not making any judgments here, but the experience for the child is a profound sense of mistrust in the parenting they're experiencing and in the relationships that should be helping them to feel safe in the world. And when that's pervasive, when that goes on for a long time, starting early in life, it, it becomes a block, a block to trust other relationships. So whether you move to, Well, whether your parents are in a better position to now keep you safe and protected, or whether you're moving to alternative parents, or whether you're moving out into the world, going into school, all relationships become a source of threat. And that's what we mean by block trust. It has a biological substrate so that, uh, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, if you, you look at Dan Hughes and John Balin's work, who, who've done a lot of work on block trust, you'll see that this is this is in your nervous system. This is not just about alert behavior. It's something much more profound than that. A profound sense of I can't find anyone to trust in the world, so I have to look up. I have to do this myself.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I had a, another question just related to that about how you saw, you know, we hear a lot about attachment styles and um, how that plays out in children. And and I wondered how you thought about the role of block trust and how it kind of what it might look like in, in sort of the various types of insecure uh, attachment styles. Did you have any that?
2: Yeah, and I, I guess if you're going to think about attachment, you also have to think about intersubjectivity. Um, two sides of relationship experience that children need early in life so they need their attachment and we've just been talking about attachment figures although I didn't name it as such people who can offer you comfort at times of distress or discomfort children also need reciprocal relationship experience that's so people who can share with you their experience of you and the experience of the world so the child learns about themselves and the world through the eyes of of their parent and that's a more reciprocal part of the relationship experience so if we're going to think about block trust we need to think about the impact on both of those so the impact on attachment as you say is is about having insecure attachment i I cannot feel safe Uh, i don't have a source of comfort to turn to reliably and so i find ways to adapt to that and that's what we mean by insecure attachment or disorganized attachment at the more extreme it's I'm finding different ways to feel safe in the world because the secure pattern, I feel wobbly, I turn to you, you make me less wobbly, Is not available. So children will learn different ways of adapting to that. And we know people will be familiar with avoidant, where we become more self-reliant, more self-sufficient, or ambivalent, where we become more attachment needy. Um, You know, those are the kind of two predominant styles of insecure attachment and then disorganized is move, taking those styles to a more extreme position. And uh, alongside that, you can, you're, if you're working so hard to feel um, soothed in terms of attachment um, experience, in terms of feeling emotionally wobbly, if you're having to work so hard, what you can't then do is relax and enjoy the reciprocal relationships, which may or may not be available to you in order to go out and explore the world. So it it impacts on everything that a young child needs in terms of their relationship experience.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thank you for talking about the subjectivity um I, I wanted to um uh, get to your book in a, a second Kim i'm quite excited about it but I wanted to ask you about um the dyadic developmental psychotherapy um that uh, that your book was based on um how, how would you describe the approach and and i think the kind of the more practical kind of components of pace i think that that um oh. comes mm-hmm. from the
2: Okay, well, Dyadic Developmental Psychotherapy, as its name suggests, was originally a therapy model developed by Dan Hughes over in America. Uh, He's a clinical psychologist working with adopted foster children and finding the usual ways of providing therapy for these children wasn't helping them. So, Dan being Dan, he set out and, and found his own model, very much based on the things we've been talking about, very much based on. Um, the experience of children who've missed out on healthy relationship experience early in life and trying to find ways of recovering for them that healthy relationship experience later in life, or in, in his case with foster adoptive parents. Um, so he developed, he developed the model, he developed the way of working, he called it Dyadic Developmental Psychotherapy. Dyadic to really give a nod to that we can't work with the children on their own, we need to work with the children and their parents safe parents, so that they can recover the relational experience and the trust, you know, we talked about block trust, the trust in relational experience um, that the children didn't have early in life. So the dyadic represents that, the developmental because it's so much based on our understanding of child development and helping children have a successful developmental pathway is, is fundamental to the model and psychotherapy because it was a therapy model when he started training particularly over in the UK actually he came over and started training a lot of us in in this model what and we went then went out and started training in turn over over time what we found is a lot of people were coming to our level one trainings who weren't therapists and they were interested in social work practice education um, residential care you know all sorts of of reasons for coming, they're really excited by this model, but we're now training people who weren't therapists. So, how could we call it a psychotherapy? So, we realized we had to broaden the whole model with Dan's blessing uh, into what we now call um, dyadic, dyadic developmental practice. So, we have dyadic developmental psychotherapy, dyadic developmental parenting, and dyadic developmental practice to try and just move away from this is much, much more than a therapy model. The therapy is still there. But around the therapy is a, is a parenting model. Around that is a, a systems model. You know, education will be part of that. Can we bring the same principles into all the environments that the children are living in? Education, schools being a particularly important part of that of that uh, environment.
1: Yeah, that's great, Mindy. Um, I've had the privilege of listening to... Um, Dan, um, uh, in some of the other workplaces. And I remember just copiously writing notes on everything he says. yes, um, yes. an engaging and interesting um, speaker, too. Um, yes,
2: he is. And, and, you know, he talks from the heart. And, it, yeah, it's, it's very, yeah, very compelling to listen to him talking about it. And uh, you asked about pace as well. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, pace is the attitude that is central to the DDP model. It's it's an attitude that's very much based on what we offer our, in, in terms of healthy relationship experience to our young children, where we offer them um, an attitude of playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy. We're interested in their inner worlds We're interested in what's going on within them, what they're thinking, feeling. If you have a conversation with a baby, and we can all imagine having a conversation with a baby. We have the words. They don't. But all our words are around what's going on inside them. Yeah. Hello, baby. Oh, you're feeling happy today. Oh, no, no. Now you're a bit upset. You know, we talk about what's going on internally. And we tend to do that infancy toddlers quite naturally. And then it tends to fade away, which is quite sad in a way. We expect children to know their inner world and we don't need to make sense of it for them anymore. I think all children, still all of us, like to have our inner world made sense of by others. So so pace is an attitude that can apply to all relationships. Somehow we lose that in our parenting of our children we become preoccupied by other things I think and what Dan realised is if we're going to help children heal from relational traumas then this is absolutely critical this making sense of their internal world in a playful accepting curious and empathic way is absolutely central to helping them to start to feel understood and to start to re-trust learn to trust that others have got them got their back is that an expression you have in Australia, to have someone's back? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I'll throw to Kay in a second. I was just reflecting on the way you described the whole process of making sense of your inner world. And and I was thinking about, you know, some of the trainings and things that, you know, you, you yourself do and we might do with teachers where a lot of it is about taking them into you know how the child must be feeling and thinking. That might be a very counterintuitive in many ways, I think. And I think, from a very broad way, that's that's most of what we're trying to do to help them do is to be able to make sense and think about and mentalise, I guess, how the child's feeling and thinking. Yeah.
2: yeah, it is counter. I think it's counterintuitive because of the way we've been socialised. You know, and I think um, obviously I, I'm more familiar with the UK environment that we grow up in. I don't think it's dissimilar in Australia. You know that sense of let's make let's make the difficult stuff go away, mm. rather than let's sit with it. Let's sit with the uncomfortableness. So when a child is distressed, you know, good parenting feels like making the stress, distress go away. You're okay. We don't need to be making a fuss. And actually, it, we've got that wrong. Actually to really help a child or to really help another colleague, another human, you know, people want to be understood and heard, and they want people to sit with them where it's uncomfortable. You know, if you were expressing a level of sadness about a recent event to me, what well, you don't want me to come in and say, it will be all right. You know, by next week, you, you know, this will be in the past. Why are you worrying? What we, you want is someone to say, that sounds really tough. You're having a really hard time right now. And I get it. And I think it's making you very worried. I think maybe it's making you worried about, you know, that, you know, that feels good. That feels, oh, you get it. You understand. I feel a bit better because I know someone else understands what I'm going through. That's the, that's the heart of pace. The pace is, you know, sitting, sitting in a compassionate way with another person's experience. And sadly, I think you know, and it won't be true all the way around the world, but uh, you know, sadly so many of our ways of being have become much more dominated by let's make this stuff go away let's get let's problem solve let's reassure let's get you out of this. And we don't take the time to slow down within DDP we talk a lot about slowing down and we don't take the time to slow down, let me let me listen to you, let me hear your story, let me know your story. Let me share back with you what i'm hearing about your story let me add a little bit with my curiosity into your story so we really really fully understand the experience you're going through and then yes maybe some reassurance or some problem solving might be really helpful to you but let's slow down and do that first and that's what fundamentally ddp is about
1: yeah and i'm fascinated to hear how you translate that to the school context but i'll just Through to Kay, if any questions or comments you might have?
0: No, I was just thinking, as you were saying, that from an educator's point of view, we tend to, especially when we've got challenging behaviour in front of us, we tend to think, I remember Laura Riffle said this when we interviewed her, she said that one of the key things she says to teachers is you don't always have to act immediately. (laughs) You know, of course, if their child was unsafe or something was dangerous, that's different. But just because something's disrupting at the moment for you, you don't have to jump in immediately and and do something. You can just stop and keep, you know, and just, yeah. And, And I was thinking of that as you said, that it's wonderful that there is the practice element Because for a teacher who naturally does that sort of behaviours, it gives a really clear teacher-type framework of what this looks like for me and how I actually do it. Because Mm -hmm. in the work that, um, uh, in working with Gavind as an educator and, and him being a psychologist, the word therapy immediately brings up but I'm not a therapist what if I do yes, something exactly. wrong I I, yeah. I, can't do a therapeutic thing because I'm not mm. trained that's that's not for me that's for somebody else and you tend to quickly flick the responsibility outside of your classroom because that's that's not something I know of whereas this is a way to to bridge that gap and also build the competence of the educator that hang on a minute, you've got a really important role to play here and you can do it. So you can do mm-hmm. it this way. Yeah. And as you've said, we're very also in general very quick to um go, no, 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 let's just fluff
2: over that and move on. Rather and than
0: like you say, sitting yeah. with it and it's okay. Yeah. You know, and it's understandable,
2: yeah. isn't it? Because we, you know, we have we have goals we have outcomes we need to achieve. teachers have a whole classroom of of children that need educating and it can feel how have I got time to do this yes you're asking me to slow down but I've only got so many hours in the day and I've only and I've got so many children to attend to
0: yes
2: and I guess slowing down doesn't have to take a long time I think that's an important message because I think when we talk about slowing down people imagine you know I have to spend half an hour with this pupil making sense of actually slowing down is is really just about saying have i understood and do i need to seek a bit more understanding here and that can come through just with just with an acknowledgement to the child you're having a really hard day and i'm here you know that doesn't have to take very long i mean one of my children in school used to have a, a primary school teacher who would if he'd noticed a child was struggling he wouldn't even have a conversation with them. he'd just put a note on their desk yes just yes, saying i've yes, noticed yes, yes. yeah i i'm noticing you're struggling today you know that's a slowing down taking the time to notice and to let the young young person know that you've noticed is a slowing down so slowing down doesn't mean hours and hours have i have got to sit and talk to you you know a therapist does have the luxury of you know 50 minutes an hour to really explore in depth someone's experience. But what we're talking about is doing that on the hoof. Yes. Yeah. And that has moment. to be has to be yeah, in the moment, it has to be small at times. But but and I, I try and avoid the word but because <laughs> yeah, it negates what you've just said. Yeah. Um, you know so it and it doesn't have to take a long time yeah and and you don't have to sit and say okay you're having a hard time we're going to spend the next half an hour figuring out why you're having a hard time what we are going to post is Mm. it's the acknowledgement Mm. you are having a hard time and I'm here if you want to tell me about it Mm. yeah Yeah, and the child might say well it's not fair miss because oh thank you for sharing that now I'm understanding why you're having a hard time yeah I'm still not happy that you hit him but i'm really understanding why you're having a hard time yeah let's have a think about that
1: yeah thanks kim i think that leads into my next question um which comes from your book uh working with relational trauma in school so you talk about this idea of the two hands of teaching and and having an authoritative teaching style i wondered if you could talk to that a little bit yeah i
2: mean Dan Dan Hughes initially talked about two hands of parenting, and it's an adaptation of that, really. And he was trying to capture, the, you know, exactly what we we're talking about. The phrase "connection" before we, "correction" is the one that people are most familiar with of Dan's phrases. Uh, connection being the the emotional connection with the person, and the importance of of making sure that connection is there if you are going to go on to do anything else. And correction is more about the doing. Uh, it isn't about punishment he wasn't trying to capture that it's more about it might be learning teaching it might be discipline it might be actually changing something that I'm doing because what I'm doing with you is not working so the correction is about is the action you you were talking about earlier the doing the connection is the, is the connection It's what it says on the tin it's the emotional relationship I have with you which will help the doing happen more successfully so he represented that as two hands as I say initially as two hands of parenting but we can easily extend that into education and have it as two hands of supporting pupils in school supporting pupils with their education so we have the connection in one hand which includes the warmth, the empathy, the nurture, the curiosity about your internal experience, all of that fits into, so I don't know if you can see the hand on the screen, fits into that hand. And then, but there is also some doing that we need to do. Yeah, we. you know, at the end of the day, you did hit your colleague, your peer and that isn't you know isn't an acceptable way of doing it we do need to think about how we can make sure that doesn't happen again we do need to think about how can we help you repair the relationship with your peer yeah so we we do have some doing that is important for children if we do that alongside the connection the child will find it much easier to do will engage with it they will be less defensive if they're less defensive, they're much more likely to learn from the experience we're, we're supporting them with. And they, so, you know, we want a child to learn how to manage conflict with peers without hitting them. or just going straight to the correction, you know, here's a consequence for hitting, will make them defensive. I'm feeling like a bad kid. I don't like feeling like a bad kid. They may go into shame. An experience of shame takes you away from any learning about the world. It becomes very self focused. So, all we've done is help the child to get to deep to move into a state of shame within which learning can't happen. So, they're not going to learn how to resolve conflict. Yeah, if we can put the other hand in there, connect with them, make sense of their experience. So, what was going on for you that got you so angry? Remembering that being angry is a feeling which is neither right nor wrong, it just is so I can accept that non-judgmentally you were angry okay help me understand that and then to empathize with that I get it I get now yeah he wouldn't let you join in the game yeah I can see why that would make you feel angry your anger makes sense to me however we've also got to think about what happened after that yeah you hit your peer you hit your friend and if, if we've done that connection well, the child is already there saying, I don't want the child, my friend to be upset. And now we can say, okay, what are we gonna do about this? Yeah, and in the book you'll see I talk about collaborative consequences rather than coercive consequences. So rather than the adult impose a consequence on the child, it, it's something that we can do together. Let's figure this out. Let's figure out how we can make this better. And the child will, if they're feeling really supported and understood, will have a million ideas about how to do that. Some of which are totally unrealistic. Yeah, I can give him all my PlayStation games. You know, he can have the lot. Yeah, actually, we don't need to go that far. How about you inviting him around to play PlayStation with you? You know, so we can we can help the child figure out how can I make this better. And it, and consequences that help you repair relationships are going to be the best consequences of all. Because you're learning how to how to deal with people in the world, friendships, relationships. Does that make sense? That's the two
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It, it just made me laugh because it makes me it reminds me of times when I've spoken to kids and you ask them what the consequence should be. And it's always more punitive and
2: harsh yes. than you
1: do. Yes. Um, yeah
2: ground me for the year <laughs> actually I don't need to do that how about we do you know it's a win-win then isn't it
1: <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to um, say something about the idea of pace as well in in, in that um, you know in how you were explaining that idea of kind of you know helping them feel understood and coming down uh, you know and there's a I think I often compare it to you know the things that people talk about in terms of de-escalation skills you know this idea of yeah bringing people down and it gets used in different contexts and now one of the things I found really powerful about the pay stuff is that the focus is always on the relationship rather than just calming someone down that it's always yeah. in the interest of understanding them and, and you know providing them an experience of feeling understood which with it comes this, you know, them being co-regulated or, you know, them kind of coming down themselves, which is a very subtle thing. And, and I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, Kim, but it's it's a very powerful thing, I think, um, in terms of like talking to kids or talking to anybody, really.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, about, it's about the relationship being more important than the goal. Yeah. You know, in de-escalation, you have a clear goal my goal is to calm you down. So life is easier for all of us. So it's a reasonable goal. It's not an unreasonable goal. we would go a step further than that though. Yeah. My goal is to understand and get to know you. And I'm hopeful that that will also help you calm down and make life easier for all of us. So there's an extra bit, if you like, that DDP and pace, the attitude of pace brings in. Uh, We talk about storytelling and finding the story, the story, the narrative, whatever word you want to use for that. I want to understand your experience here. And I'm not just going to come in to uh, calm you down. You know, I can do that. There are techniques for, for doing that. I'm going to do something additional. I want to help you calm down, but I really want to know you. And I want to know what's going on for you. So I want to discover your story, your story of this moment, your story of this experience. And in understanding that story, I'll have deeper empathy for you. You will help, you will receive that empathy, you will feel more deeply understood. And that in itself will help the calming down process but it will do something also it'll get your thinking brain working so we can figure this out we can figure out what went wrong and we can figure out what we could do another time so it's much much bigger than de-escalation important as de-escalation is
1: absolutely and and just hearing you say that I think you with de-escalation often you have the trap of stepping into control and coercion isn't it? it it almost feels like a form of that whereas with PACE, I think it's you know, really about relationship building, care and concern. Um,
2: yes, I mean, I think de-escalation at its best isn't controlling. No. I think de- you know, people are taught well how to de-escalation techniques, um, but it is technique focused and it is goal orientated. I think PACE is much broader than that. It's relational focus. And that's the, the big central element of DDP. It's a relational model. So the relationship is more important than anything else. Not that you ignore everything else. So in schools, so you were talking about education, You know, we have a goal to teach the children. I mean, obviously that's really important. We don't want them to leave school having learned nothing. So that goal is always there. The belief is if we understand our pupils and have a relationship with our pupils, you know, that will calm their nervous systems down for a start. It will help them to feel safe. It will support their emotional well-being. And then they're in a a much better learning state. So our secondary goal of teaching them is going to be achieved, which which probably sounds a bit weird to educators. Why would the teaching be a secondary goal? But if we think about how, how we work as human beings, we learn when we're emotionally safe. If we're not emotionally safe, our nervous system puts us in a state to deal with the danger, not to learn. So we have a goal to teach our children but our primary goal must be to get help them to feel safe and emotionally supported, so that they can learn. Then we can achieve our achieve our goal of teaching them. And unfortunately, that's not always understood. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that, that seems really great. I guess the challenge often is putting it into practice. Um, Kim, so in your book, you talk about this idea of practicing in the moment. Um, I was wondering what you know if you could explain that concept and what it means for educators trying to use pace.
2: Yeah, and again it started in a model that I developed with with parents in mind and have translated that into into um something that a practice um sorry that educators can use. Um, and it's it's really just trying to capture all the things I've just been talking about in a kind of relatively simple model that we can keep in mind. It, it is the slowing down. It's the slowing down in supporting children. And I just go through a sequence. It doesn't have to be in that order and you go backwards and forwards. I don't want it to be a do step one, do step two, uh, but it's just trying to capture what is what does slowing down look like? And if you um, if you look at the model, You'll see that there's it's sort of uh, seven circles. And the first circle is notice. And, you know, as Kay, you were talking about earlier, you know, deal with anything that needs to be dealt with immediately. Yeah. If Billy and Joe are fighting, we have to break the fight up. You know, you can't go in and be super paceful and understanding and share the story when they're hitting each other. We have to do that. So, step one is always going to be the first step, isn't it? Notice that there's something that needs attending to and do anything immediately for everyone's safety. Then the fast route goes then to, what's the consequence here? You guys were fighting, what's the consequence for your fighting? Okay, you know, detention after school. Yeah, that's the fast route. So what I've tried to do in the model is show what the slow route looks like, yeah. And surprisingly, for my, in my mind, the next step, I, I just promised myself I wouldn't use the word steps, but the next part of the process is to notice your own reaction, is to focus on you. And it doesn't have to take very long, but how am I doing in this situation? Am I regulated enough to help these kids? Or do I need to take care of myself? Yeah. If I do need to take care of myself, can I hand over to someone? Because the children need support right now. If I can't, can I at least just take a breath have compassion for myself, and then focus on the children. And that, you know, breathe, this is hard, it's okay, you're going to struggle, we'll get through it. You know, that compassion for yourself can then allow you to be in a more open engaged state to the children. So instead of going in and saying, what the heck is going on here? You say, hey, boys, you're having a hard time today. And apologies, I've been very gender biased there, so boys fighting, it could be girls, but yeah. Hey guys, you know, you're having a hard time, you two. Let's have a let's figure out what's going on here. Yeah. So we have to attend to ourselves within the slowing down. Otherwise, we're not in an open and engaged state to attend to the other person. Then it's really important to think about regulation for the children. Are they regulated or not? If they're not emotionally regulated, there's no point doing anything else because they're not in a state to receive it. We have to put our attention on regulation. You know so if you if you don't mind me kind of sticking with them being boys you know c- come on boys we're going to go for a walk yeah i want you here you here let's let's have a walk and we'll have a think about what's going on so let's do something to regulate yeah oh can you just pick up those you know books and bring them with you as we walk here yeah, let's get something heavy let's get some you know so we know from the ots all sorts of things can help children regulate at a sensory level and at emotional level, my presence is going to help you regulate. And the children calm. They can say, okay, you've had a hard time. Let's figure it out. Dan's favourite phrase, let's figure this out. Yeah, And then there's another, another really important part of this process. Don't go immediately to, I want you to think about the other person. Let's start with you. So if I'm talking to Billy, you know, Billy was really going for, Who was the other child? I've forgotten his name, Joe. I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, You know, and Billy's really, you know, lashing out at Joe. Yeah. It's no good me saying to Billy, what do you think Joe's feeling right now? He's just going to go straight into shame and defensiveness. Thinking shuts down and I've lost my opportunity. Much better to start with him. What was going on for you? What made you so angry? Remembering anger is just a feeling it's neither right nor wrong. It just is. Yeah. Help me understand why you got so angry. Now I get it. Now I understand. And then you give that back with empathy. That was really hard for you. Then if that happened, yeah, now now the child is feeling, okay, you get it. I'm not feeling shame now. Actually, I'm starting to feel a bit of guilt. I'm starting to feel some remorse. Actually, I didn't want to hurt Joe. He's my friend. And I don't kind of know what to do about that, but I'm feeling it. So I'm now receptive to some ideas. And if we move from shame to guilt, guilt allows remorse and the the desire to make amends. So now the child is in a receptive state to think about Joe. Yeah, so Joe's really upset with you. Yeah, I don't want him to be upset with me. I wonder what we can do about that. And that takes us to the next part of the sequence, which is, you know, the action. What are we going to do about this? And this is where the collaborative consequence comes in, yeah. And the adult takes some responsibility here as well. You know, maybe you guys aren't ready to, you know, play for half an hour together. Maybe you need a bit more supervision, your structure. That's my responsibility as an adult to put that in place. Yeah. Maybe there's something you can do that lets Joe know that you you are you're upset that you upset him. Yeah. That lets him know that you want to you want to be friends. I wonder what that could be. Yeah. Joe might not be quite ready to hear it yet. Can you be patient with that? You know, can we do that? And but you might have to be a bit patient until he's ready to, to do that. Yeah. So that's and that leads us on to the relationship repair part of the sequence, which is the last part. Yeah. And that's it is it's about helping the child repair their relationships. And it's also the adult to say, is there anything I need to do to repair? Have I, you know, I, I kind of. I got it wrong at the beginning there I wasn't so you know I wasn't so patient at the beginning can I acknowledge look I I, I know I've been quite cross with it and frustrated with you at the beginning and you know that's that's my that's me that's down to me I'm glad we kind of got there in the end you know so doing your repair as well and then you can model to children you know repair is a good thing to do we can always reach out and acknowledge we got something wrong so that's so it's trying to capture it's it's capturing pace it's pace well it's capturing the two hands isn't it that I've been talking about pace being an important part of that and it's just showing how we slow down in our way of dealing with things and as I was saying earlier you know that as I just talked through would take quite a lot of time but then that's quite a serious experience that the child needs that time and attention but we can also whiz through that much more quickly those kind of moment by moment i'm just noticing i want to understand this is making sense to me i remember that i remember that um your mum went into hospital yesterday so i can understand you're having a hard time so you know we can make some guesses and wondering about why because of our knowledge of the child and just you're doing that fed so it can be it can be a very quick snappy thing or it can be a much longer let's take some time and really think about this together
1: no, that's a really yeah. wonderful framework, Eamon, and then I was thinking about um, how it's just a very useful kind of framework to even reflect on what you've done or, you know, how many steps you went through or, yeah. you know, which one you got right and which one you didn't. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Where where did that work? Well, for me, you know, what am I learning about that? Where did I find it difficult, tricky? You know, and, and noticing your own reactions and taking care of yourself is really important.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I'll let you have a drink. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Talking I'll, too much.
1: Uh, I'll throw it at Kay in a minute. Uh, one of the, It was interesting hearing you talk about the lo- long path and the short path um, of decision-making. And it made me wonder about how, you know, for a teacher to be able to do this, they need to f- be feeling safe themselves. You know, yes. I, I know, you know, regulated and income, but sort of at some level safe in Yes, and in the environment they're in as well.
2: Yes, and that, you know what that speaks to is is we need to get these ways of being throughout the school, so it, everyone's supporting everyone else in a very peaceful way. So we we build schools that are safe for everyone. So thinking about how we do how I'm not in school, but how staff do supervisions, how they do mentoring, yeah, how they do management, yeah, how they do peer support. And the well-being of the adults is critical to the well-being of the children. And if we can't put well-being for adults in place, we're not going to get it right for the children. So actually, you know, I've got to I've got to look after the adults here. I've got to look after myself here. You know, am I safe? Because if we're not in a safe world, we all go into our, our defensive nervous systems mm. and that never goes well. Mm. Yeah.
1: I like the idea of peaceful schools <laughs> and peaceful schools. <laughs> I think that's a nice yes. to think about it. I'll, I'll throw yeah. it over to Kay for any thoughts and comments.
0: Thanks. No, I was just thinking because I literally was just talking about this with students today. How teachers tend to put themselves last. They don't. Mm. Their children always come first, and they're not um, consciously thinking about themselves. And I think your explanation where all of a sudden in what do I need to do to help this child? Oh, my goodness, I'm at the beginning. That's mm-hmm. that's a whole different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes then to, as you said, if you've got a school where everybody thinks this way, yeah. that bridges that gap of um, uh, that that isolation type of mentality of, this child is your problem because he's in your classroom it mm. it helps everybody to say okay we need safe and 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 great teachers with great well-being to be able to help each other therefore yeah. my first priority as your colleague is to make sure you're okay yeah therefore i can't then say well that child is your
2: problem yeah. You know,
0: it, it, it speaks to and, me it, and that it goes further every it. is everybody's responsibility and yeah. concern because
2: And I can only do that for you if I look after myself. Yes, so it just,
0: that's right. You know, and then it's like this little domino effect. It yes, just, yes. If you're going to I think mean, that way and behave that way, it goes without saying that you'll yeah. that you'll act that way.
2: I mean, we. I mean, the common phrase is, you you know, put your own ox- oxygen mask on first. Yes. Well, I re- yes. I really like the story of the father in the desert, and I don't know where the source of this story came from. I've never been able to track it down, but have you heard it? It's where a father and a son are working in, walking in the desert, and they, they're lost. They can't find their way out, and they've got one bottle of water. And the son is getting really thirsty because it's really hot, obviously. And the son says to Dad, Daddy, can I have some water? I'm really thirsty. And the father says, I'm sorry, sorry, my lad, I'm going to drink the water. But daddy, that's not fair. I'm thirsty. Why are you drinking the water? Well, it's like this, son. If I drink the water, I'll keep myself going and I can find us to get us out of this desert. If I give you the water, I won't be able to do that. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just love that story for the, you know, there are really important reasons why we take care of ourselves. And it is for our children's benefit. Yeah. So it's just a longer version of put your own oxygen mask on first. But I really like that story. I think it's really powerful.
1: It really is, yeah. Um, Kim, you've given us lots of really practical examples and, and the ways that Pierce might look on the ground. I wonder if you had any anecdotes or stories with working with educators where they've used this um, successfully?
2: Yes. I, I mean, obviously, lots. Um, it's, it's kind of... Deciding what to what to talk to you about, really. Um, and there's there's several things that come to mind. I, I, I want to talk about um, a, a school that I'm supporting at the moment in England called Nurture Learning. And it's a very small school and it's set up for children who are failing in mainstream schools because of emotional and social difficulties. And, you know, a wonderful group of staff who um, have come together and are really taking these ideas on mind. I'm, I'm sorry, these ideas on board. Uh, off, offering a very peaceful DDP-type experience to the children and just seeing those children settle and flourish. And, you know, I, I was thinking of one girl in particular, you know, when I was, you, know, you shared that you would ask me this question, so I was thinking of what, you know, and I was thinking of a young girl who was 14, 15 when she came into that school and, you know, really having a tough time. She'd had a difficult history um you know of being parented herself you know she had failed in mainstream school she her learning was really compromised she was very underachieving and the and i suppose what really impressed me with the staff is how they could focus on her social and emotional support and how they didn't get preoccupied by we've got to teach this girl yeah we've got you know we've got to get the education in actually this child isn't in a place to be educated at the moment and the and feeling able to give her the time and space she needed to feel safe in school to build the relationships to to improve her emotional well-being and then to see her start to flourish and to move towards qualifications and all the things that we want for a child in school which she would never have got without that initial so so i was i was thinking of 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 her so she she came to mind um i was also thinking of um the example i give in 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 the book of a of a young boy that I worked with. And the way that, you know, he and his parent, his mother could use the, you know, that parenting in the moment, you know, to help him manage a difficult moment in school and how that led to how it goes through the whole story. It is it is in the book of people want to read it, which is a cheeky way of getting people to buy the book, of course, <laughs> um, but, you know, the way that, the mother taking time to sit with him and support him and truly understand him led him to, well, I want to make it right with my friends. And can I do this? And he came up with his own solution was just beautiful. You know, so, you know, with his permission, we I use that story quite a lot in in my writings and in my teaching. Yeah. So, yeah. So just the power of relationship really to to, to achieve what we want to achieve. But we try and get there too quickly you know, there's a lot of preoccupation, you know, particularly for the adolescent age group who are needing to get their qualifications. They're going to do their GCSEs and and those sorts of things. And, you know, how we help them catch up. And there's a big debate going on at the moment, um, you know, with, you know, the government really pushing for, we've got to get, we've got to catch up their education for these children. Maybe we should use summer holidays to help them catch up and, you know, things like that. And so we say, whoa, slow down. These kids are frightened. know these kids are coming back into school after a period of you know being confined to home and being told there's a bear at your door you know there's something really dangerous out there and now we're saying go go to school and catch up on your learning hey you're missing some steps here yeah, and we need for adolescents. It's just as important as for younger children that we need to attend to their emotional safety and their social safety. We need to help them integrate back into schools. We need to help them, you know, integrate back into their peer groups, which they've mainly connected with in this way for all these months, you know. And you know, for some children, that's been a huge relief. It's taken some of the pressures off of of struggling, especially the children we're talking about the relational traumas. And now we're saying go back into into school and get back into all of that. And there's still the bear out there. You know, this is still a scary world. So if we don't attend to the social and emotional needs of our adolescents just as much as we do for our young children, they're not going to achieve their education. If we do attend to it, they'll catch up because when we're in the right state, we learn. We have a thirst for learning and they will achieve what they need to achieve. And that isn't understood always yeah there are a lot of good teachers out there really understand it but I know in the UK I'm not sure our government get that at the moment
1: yeah it's interesting how a lot of that is lost when you're thinking about you know big groups of people (laughs) it just feels like you're even with the COVID response in a certain way you know there wasn't necessarily a lot of thought about you know the mental health and the anxiety and everything which has really skyrocketed but um but yeah it, it's interesting that it's you know never a key feature about how you manage things
2: and and that's understandable you know crisis came we you know we had to deal with it quickly and just like you know in my model the first thing you have to do is attend to the immediate danger uh, there is a knock on effect though and we do we do know that adolescent suicides are going up at the moment for example You know, we do know mental health has been compromised. And as we, you know, as we ease out of this pandemic, we must, must attend to this. Yeah. And it's it's easy to say, oh, everything's normal again. Get the kids back into school. Get them catched up on their learning. We'll be fine. And actually, no, these kids have been through some awful trauma through this pandemic. Whether it's touched them personally or whether they just watched it on the news and heard about it. We've all been affected by the trauma of this, you know, and obviously some children in a very, very personal way. They've lost parents, they've lost family members. So, yeah, it's a really good example of, of working with huge trauma, isn't it? You know, we're talking about relational trauma, but this is, this is trauma that's impacted on all of us. And we're going to help these children go back to school. We've got to do it in a safe, emotionally healthy way. Um, in in the book, which I, I do have here, this is the one we've been talking about, you know, in here, I've got a, a little example of Mrs. K, I've just made her up, but obviously she's based on, on many experiences, you know, and, and Mrs. K is really triggered by Lucy. And it means that she doesn't slow down, she doesn't understand what's going on. You know, she does go in, in a way that's not helpful. And then she realises and she thinks about it and reflects on it. And then she's able to meet Lucy where Lucy needs to be met. And it's just an example I put in here just to try and and show that this is complicated because we have our own stuff activating us.
1: That's great. Now, I am aware of the time. You've been very generous with your time and energy. Um, Kay, did you have any thoughts before I wrap things up?
0: No. <laughs> Nothing to add other than to say thank you for being um, so w- wonderful in a- in enabling, I guess, us as educators to be able to put this, you know, all these concepts into, uh, for one of a better description, to be able to hold them in a- in our hands and actually have um, substance to ideas that we read because it's we often read things and it says, you know, what you should be doing, and yes, and you go, yes, I should be. How do I actually do that? how How do I build trust? how How do I um, uh, sort of acquire and let peaceful behavior be so embedded that I cease to think about it intentionally because it's just who I am? how do, How do I actually do that? You know, and it helps mm. us not to go, "Oh, there's another thing," and dismiss it. Yeah. You know. So yeah. So thank you from an educator's point of view, it's, it means the world to be able to, I guess, have 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 these concepts, and I guess I can only explain it in that way that I can actually hold them, and yeah. and then yeah, take them take them into the room and and yeah, make make a difference. Thank you.
2: Uh, and can I just mention my colleague's book as well? Um, sure. I, this is uh, Sha, Sean Phillips. Um, who worked on this book with me alongside louise bomber she's also worked on this book with um denny Mellim, and, and dan supported them as well denny's a teacher and this it's it's belonging a relationship-based approach for trauma-informed education all all infused by the ddp model mm-hmm. um and it you know just listen to what you were saying about you know just the kind of how do I do this? There's practical mm-hmm. stuff in this book. Excellent. Made. That
0: book, I've got that one too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's, and it's got such, uh, it just brings it to life. It brings the classroom to life. It brings the children to life and really shows the principles being put into practice. So I just wanted to kind of plug that one as well. Is that one? <laughs>
0: yes, thank you.
1: I'd love to have Shane on as well. Um, sure she'd love to. Yeah, yeah sounds good. Um, Kim, was there anything else that you'd like to direct our listeners to, any other resources or how they can learn more about yourself?
2: I've probably given them enough there, haven't they? Um, there is a, a DDP website, ddpnetwork.org, and there's lots of lots of resources on there, so it's definitely worth that. So, you know, if people are interested in these ideas and thinking, probably a first stop is to go to that website and browse the library. There's so many resources in the library, including some, you know, video webinar things and yeah, you know, dan talking john valin talking yeah I think there's some stuff of mine on there so yeah people that's probably a good good starting point and and they can, can contact us through that website as well if they want to be guided further
1: that's fantastic well thank you so much for your time um, i was just saying before i'd been to one of your trainings i think a few years ago so it's lovely hearing you talk again always inspirational and really practical so um, thank you, Kim.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Very yes, welcome. Thanks very much. That was Dr. Kim Golding speaking about her new book, Working with Relational Trauma in Schools. To learn more about trauma-informed education, visit our website, tipbs.com. That's tipbs.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider providing us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Your feedback makes all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time.